This is the Russian dynamite Masha Slamovich. Becca here. This is not America's sweetheart Davian. It's Billy Starks and the super fly guy Trayvon Jordan. This is the fly side flyer Jalen Brandon. Hardcore princess Jules Malone. Hi there, this is the bubblegum princess Alexia Nicole. This is the Brazilian Wonder Woman Christy Jane. This is the baddest black belt Chennai Kai. This is Kid Bandit. The smash hit Joel Bateman. This is Robin Renegade. Cody Hawk. Brutal Bob Evans. And you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment, one of my favorite podcasts in the whole wide world. This is Hotshot Danny Duggan with Canadian Wrestling's Elite, and you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Hello, 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 and welcome to the show. It's Wrestling With Entertainment, the only audio experience on the web today. The trusted choice for interviewing all your favorite wrestlers every Tuesday and Wednesday on YouTube and CastBox. Sponsored by Rogue Energy and Player One Coffee. I'm, of course, your host, James J. And it is a great day for wrestling, because we are wrestling with... Hotshot Danny Duggan! Hello, hello. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm good as well. And could you tell us... uh? what you have coming up and obviously Canadian wrestling elite. We've got a lot coming up. Uh, you know, this upcoming weekend, October 13th and 14th, uh, we're on the road in the province of Ontario with stops in Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay uh, for the kickoff of our four province rumble to remember tour. Those two events specifically are headlined by WWF legend, the Mountie Jacques Rougeau, who has been on tour with us uh, throughout the summer across Canada. And he's uh, concluding his final dates with us on those two events. Um, At the end of October in the city of Winnipeg, where we're based out of our hometown, we've got our annual Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal event at Rookie Sports Bar. It's our only 18-plus event uh, that we host in the entire country of Canada, and it's going down for, for Halloween weekend. The following day, Saturday, October 28th, we have a matinee event in Lundar, Manitoba to raise funds for the Lundar Fire Department. And then we're, we're kicking off uh, November strong. We've got 10 events in 10 days uh, across Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, part of the Rumble to Remember Tour. And th- those events are all headlined uh, by WWE, WCW alumni, and Japanese wrestling icon, the Ultimo Dragon, who's coming to CWE for the first time ever. So we're really stoked about what's uh, coming up here to close out 2023. You definitely, It definitely seems like you have a busy rest of the year ahead of you. Yeah, we most definitely do. And as busy as it is, it's actually been even busier throughout the year. It's kind of slowing down a little bit for us <laughs> as we get ready for the big Canadian winter. Um, I haven't done the math yet, but we got to be on close. You know, we got to be on par to close to a hundred live events this year. Uh, if if not, we're pretty pretty close. It's been it's been an incredible year. Um, you know, pre pre COVID and and pre the world shutting down, I think our, our greatest year was 120 live events. And I think we've been busier or on pace with that this year, and we're anticipating an even bigger 2024. So uh, we're, we're full-time up and operational here back in Canada, and we're taking advantage of it, making up for lost time. It's, it's definitely, you know, 120 events for an indie promotion. That's somewhat unheard of in the world of indie wrestling. I mean, only like WWE and New Japan would do that amount of dates. I mean, a lot of indie um, promotions are lucky to do 12 events in a year. 
Yeah, it's not somewhat unheard of. It's completely unheard of. Uh, we're the only independent wrestling organization in all of North America that does it. Um, I haven't taken a look at New Japan's schedule in some time, so I'm not sure what they're producing per year right now. But there was a time uh, we were pretty close to, to WWE's schedule because they're not they're not running a full time house show schedule anymore themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, at at their peak, they, you know, they're running seven events a week. Now they're running, I think, three, maybe four on a good week at best. And and there's some there's some weeks we're doing that and sometimes more. So um, if, you know, you're somebody who wants to be a professional wrestler and, and live the life of a professional wrestler on the road in the traditional sense, the way guys used to do it by getting in the car and going town to town and and uh, living the gimmick, so to speak, uh, CWE is the place for you. Now, uh, and where can we find all things uh, CWE on social media? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and TikTok as well, at CWE Canada. Are the guys doing that uh, Wednesday Adams dance on the TikTok? <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. Are the guys on TikTok doing the Wednesday Adam dance? I have no idea what that is. I'm an old man who's not good with technology, so I personally have no hands-on involvement with the TikTok. So I, I'm going to have to say maybe, um, but if so, I have no knowledge of what that is or how to do it. Fair enough. Now, um, you know, talking about uh, CWE, um, you know, you are still currently an active pro wrestler. Um, what inspired you to make CWE? Well, it's uh, that's an interesting question. I, for the first time in my life, I'm actually talking talking to you as an inactive pro wrestler. Um, I'm, I'm coming up on my 21st year as a, as a pro wrestler, but I'm currently about five months into, uh, you know, uh, post-surgery. I had a full ACL reconstruction surgery done in the end of April. Uh, so that's a nine to 12 month minimum uh, time off requirement for me just to, to do physio and rehab and, and hopefully be able to participate in contact sports again. So for the first time in my career, um, I'm sitting dormant without without getting in the ring each and every week, which has never happened. Um, I've torn my pec, I've torn my bicep, I've torn my MCL before, I've been concussed multiple times over, too many times to count, which probably isn't a good thing, and I've always been, you know, up and in the ring the next day and, and continued on with my schedule without any time off. Uh, this is the first time I've actually been sitting uh, w without getting in the ring and doing anything, which has been quite the adjustment the last five months, but it's also kind of nice, so who knows, maybe, maybe it's permanent. Um, but to uh, but to get back to your question, uh, yeah. So CWE, we're, we're coming up on our fifteenth anniversary this January. It's just right around the corner. We're getting ready to celebrate our fifteenth anniversary, and that'll be a, a big tour, a big tour across the country. And uh, you know that came to be in two thousand nine. Uh, you know, for those not familiar with CWE, we hosted our first ever event on January 23rd, 2009, and it was headlined by the man who is our current CWE champion, the zombie killer Mentalo, and uh, he wrestled some dude by the name of the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, um, who I guess went on to do some pretty big things in the professional wrestling world, from what I understand, and uh, they, had, uh, they had an incredible main event, one to this day, I, I still say is one of the best matches I've ever witnessed live and in person. 
um, that really took this company for a ride and is, you know, was the, the building block to get us here 15 years later. But it all it all came to be um, and in 2009. I'd been an active pro wrestler for about six years at that point. Um, you know, I was only 22, 23 years old because I started wrestling as a, as a teenager. Um, but at that point, even just six years in, I, I had done work um, for, you know, most major organizations in North America. I traveled the continent. Um, I would wrestled for a lot of major independent companies and I've wrestled, you know, the who's who of pro wrestling and everything that I was experiencing, you know, from from the companies I was working for and the, the talent I was getting in the ring with was not being presented here on the home front uh, here in Winnipeg and in central Canada. And I always thought that was just a huge missed opportunity because there's some incredible wrestlers in central Canada. Uh, you know, we're, like I mentioned, we're based out of Winnipeg. And for those that know their wrestling history, Winnipeg has produced some pretty big wrestling stars over the years. You know, Roddy Piper, originally from Saskatoon, but considered a Winnipeg boy. You know, he was our first guy put on the map. Uh, you know, you had, you know, Don Callis, the natural or Cyrus, uh, you know, all the names. He's, he's another Winnipeg boy. And then, of course, most famously, Chris Jericho. Um, who's still riding high on a national level 20-something years later. And then, you know, most recently on a national stage, Kenny Omega. You know, so that's some of the talent that's come through Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously exceptional and great talents and, on a you know, on a level of their own. But Winnipeg also has dozens of other guys that are really good too. Um, you know, some that might even be considered as good as some of those guys, but just never got the opportunity or just never had the right set of eyes on them, which, you know, is the, the luck of the draw in the, in the professional wrestling game. Um, you know, so as I was getting out there and wrestling other places and just seeing the level of talent in other places, I said, like, wait a minute, like, why, why is Winnipeg not getting the recognition and respect it deserves? We've got a handful of guys that can go with these top guys that are in Ring of Honor, that can go in these top guys that are, you know, in CZW, IWA, Mid-South, PWG, whatever the companies were, you know, that were popular at the time. Um, but they're just, nobody's paying attention to them up here. And I kind of say that now, and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic to me because that's kind of why I started, you know, CWE was to, you know, put central Canada and the wrestlers on a platform, um, to be seen by more people, but also get opportunities by working with other talent to hopefully get them out of here and get them opportunities elsewhere. Um, so what? it succeeded. I, I can go down a list of so many guys that have gone on now to have WWE opportunities, Ring of Honor opportunities. You know, you see some in AEW now, uh, you know, directly through CWE guys have gone to Japan, Mexico, Germany, all over the world, which is something I'm very proud of. Uh, but here we are 15 years later and, and still, even with Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega as the biggest stars in the world, um, you know, for AEW, Winnipeg still doesn't get the respect it deserves. Like we're running these tours across the country, as you mentioned, and more dates than anybody. But we have such a tough time with our geological location getting any coverage. You know, in the wrestling world, especially in in the United States. Um, so it's still it's still something that drives us and pushes us forward. That we have so many talented guys up here, but no one's paying attention, and it just drives us crazy. <laughs> but it motivates us to keep on going. Um, but you know, like I mentioned, Omega, and I'll, I'll name drop him again for the fourth time. Like he was the first ever CWE Tag Team Champion, along with myself. Um, you know, he and there's there's so many guys like him: Brian Danielson, Seth Rollins, uh, so many guys that that came to CWE early. 
that put us on the map and wrestled with a lot of the top talent here in central Canada. They got them ready. And that was kind of, that was kind of the hope is like, let's provide a platform for these guys. Let's get them in the ring with some of the world's best and see how they hang, see how they learn, how they adjust and then how, and how they go on to do for themselves. And it's, it's worked out incredibly well. Um, as good as the talent was in 2009, when we started, I would say, generally speaking, on average now, it's even better than it was before, and it's continuing to grow and, and get better as we continue. Because you, you definitely, you know, Winnipeg, it's too far to the west for the east and too far to the east for the west. It is geographically in the middle of nowhere, man. And uh, right. and I've, I've paid my dues in that, in that regard as a pro wrestler. Like, the first time... I, I did a couple when I was like 17, 17 years old, I think is when I first did my first few shows in these States. And that was like in Minnesota. And that was like a six, seven hour drive, which is just like, that's another day at the office for us living here in Winnipeg. Like that's pretty much, pretty much how far you're driving to get anywhere for a show on any given weekend. So like, that was like just, that was just dipping my toes in. But like the first ever time I went and did like an extended trip of the United States I was 17 years old and I spent 32 hours on a Greyhound bus getting to Boston so I can do two weeks worth of shows in New England, um, you know, throughout Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, yeah, like all those in New Hampshire, I believe we did. Um, But like that, that was the reality of it. I had to like sit on a bus for 32 hours uh, just to get out of here and get to an area that was getting a little more publicity and had more work at the time because there's not a lot going on here. Like the closest major U.S. city we've got is Minneapolis, which is seven hours south. And then from there, you know, you, you know, you start to get a little closer to some major cities, but Chicago is 14 hours from here. If you head west, there's nothing on the you know the western united states in any drivable distance to us um so we're really in the middle of nowhere um so if you if so so because of that it presents a lot of economical challenges um because you know it's it's no secret there's not a ton of ton of money flowing through independent wrestling so when you've got to tack on you know a gas bill for for a promoter when you live in central canada or a flight from central canada uh you know that that cost to bring you somewhere just just uh kind of priced you out of the market very quickly so you know there are guys that will have to you know take take you know things into their own hands and invest in themselves and get out and it works it works for some but not for many and and if it doesn't you can't do it for very long because it's just not cost effective to do so it's a it's definitely a challenge being based in central canada you know the guys that usually do end up getting out have to you know make a commitment pretty early and pretty seriously to, to permanently get out of here in order to make it happen and I mean, man, those Greyhound buses. I mean, that's the detriment to so many wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not imagine doing that again. It's uh, it's it's funny that that story got brought up because I was just talking to a friend of mine that um, helped bring me down to New England twenty years ago. I hadn't talked to him in some time, and we were just uh, it, it, it came up to my attention that it had been almost twenty years since that trip. And I, I told him because he's, he's he's a manager. He worked for Deep South Wrestling for a while, but he was also a manager in New England. Okay. And uh, I, I I told him, um, I said, we're coming up on 20 years. I know you're retired from the business now, but just for nostalgia, I might get on a bus and, and <laughs> do the 32 hours there if you'll come out of retirement and manage me for one night. <laughs> and we said it jokingly, and he said, not a chance I'm getting in the ring and doing it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, I'm the one willing to do a 32 hour drive. It's down the street from your house. And you're saying no, I guess I'm saying no too then. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how time changes you because, you know, at 17 years old, 18 years old, I was so excited to get on that bus and do it. And I probably would have done it every week if I had to. Uh, I, I probably still would because I'm ingrained, you know, it's ingrained in my mind on how to do it. And just that's that's how I did it for so long, um, just being based in this area that I would probably survive it. But mentally, I, I'd probably try to figure out any other which way to do it first now. Now, um, you did mention uh, you have, uh, you, you're in the middle of injury time. Um, how did the injury come about? And um, you did have some complications with it in the last couple of months, no? Yeah, most definitely did. So um, being in Canada, we have this wonderful thing everyone thinks is this fantastic golden goose called free healthcare, um, which has pros and cons. So you're not going bankrupt if you get hurt, but if it's something serious and you need to get fixed quickly, you're probably shit out of luck, uh, which was the case for me and my torn ACL. So as an athlete, sitting for two years wasn't ideal. But at the same time, I didn't have to spend any money for it. So your pros and your cons. Um, but I was I was wrestling. It was, it was yeah, almost two, almost three years ago now. Um, so the, in my mind, I think the injury happened in two parts. I, I think I initially pre-injured my knee um, on one tour. Uh, I was somebody hoisted me up for for a tombstone pile driver, and when they do that, you kind of do like you you kind of get lifted like in a cartwheel motion up into their body, so you're upside down. Yeah. And when that happened, my foot got caught in the canvas. The canvas was loose, and it kind of got stuck as he like torqued me up, and I felt a little tear in my knee. Um, like I felt something right away. And, uh, you know, luckily that was, that was the end of the match. That tombstone put me away, but I immediately I was like, Oh shoot, I can't walk. Um, so my knee was like pretty, pretty swollen. I couldn't put a lot of weight on it, but we still had a couple days left on the tour. So like I, I bandaged that thing right up iced, you know, and, and did everything I could to get through the rest of that trip. And I just kind of rested my leg for a couple of weeks. I wrestled, like, I think, I can't even remember. I wrestled a handful of times with my knee kind of hurt. Um, but I like, I bandaged it up and it was no problem. I got through, I didn't have too many limitations. So I think I may have, I may have caused a partial tear uh, on that first one. And then I was wrestling a match. And for the first time since that partial tear or what I believe to be that partial tear. Now I took the bandage off. It's like, Oh, my knee's feeling good. Like I, I, I didn't have any pain. I didn't have any mobility issues. I, I felt like my, my leg was pretty stable. Um, so it was as simple as pie. It was as fundamental as pro wrestling gets. I, I shot my opponent off the ropes and I gave him a back elbow, which is one of the easiest, you know, one of the simplest, most first move you're, you're going to learn when you're being a pro wrestler and you're going to, you know, it's one of the easiest moves to, um, to, to hit in a pro wrestling match. You're, you're throwing your elbow up. I'm not lifting anybody up. I'm not throwing them in the air. I'm literally stepping into them with my elbow. <laughs> doesn't get much easier than a back elbow, um, you know, from an offensive standpoint. Um, but I think that knee wasn't quite healed yet. And the guy coming off the ropes was a big boy. You know, he's probably like 370, 380. And just his weight coming into me as I planted my leg and my knee not being fully uh, healed yet. Um, as soon as he stepped into me, my knee just buckled like I could feel it tear and pop and I collapsed immediately 
um, and down I went. So, um, so, so we finished the match because I didn't realize how bad it was right away. Like I knew it was bad. Like I couldn't stand. Um, but being the dummy I am, I figured, well, we're going to try to get through this and we'll deal deal with it later. Um, so we finished up the match in whatever capacity I was capable of doing so. And, uh, you know, went to the hospital. They gave me a completely different diagnosis than it ended up actually being. They gave me a little knee brace and I finished up that tour too. And then sure enough, I ended up going home and, and finding out it was the torn ACL. Um, and it tore right off. Like, and, and once, once that injury set in, you, you were well aware it was torn right off. Um, but because of free healthcare here in Canada, there's a long list to, to get it done because that's a lot of money and time that goes into getting these things done. And, and those resources aren't always there for our government and healthcare system. Uh, so I had a decision to make, and that was either sit and, and take time off or continue to work through the injury. And being stupid me, who has always worked through every injury, I continued to do that. I got myself a great sports uh, knee brace. And mind you, this my wonderful friends and peers who advised me that it was okay to do so too, because a lot of them had done it. So I trusted their judgment and, and to their credit, they're right. I got through it for two years just fine. Uh, but I put, a, I put a sports knee brace on and I wrestled the fully torn ACL for almost two years. Uh, I had to completely modify how I wrestled. Um, I wasn't uh, I wasn't as quick and agile and uh, spry, so to speak, as I was. But I was able to I was able to adjust. I you know I, I had to change my presentation in terms of my character and personality, um, and just the way I structured my matches from how I always traditionally done it. But I, I got through it, and uh, by you know a couple months in of of getting over uh, the mental block of, oh shit, I can't wrestle the way I'd like to, which is very humbling. Like it's very humbling to be, you know, in your athletic prime, be in great shape and your body not work. Like it's uh, there's a mental block there and there's a, there's a grieving period, so to speak, <laughs> of, of some frustration. Um, you know, but once, once I figured that out and what I couldn't, couldn't do and how to do it right, you know, I, I thought I was having some of the best matches in my career on one leg, uh, which I'm really proud of. Um, but finally it got to a point where my knee was worn out. Like just there's slight things in a match. Um, you know, if I came down the wrong way, like I wasn't walking for three weeks and I could tell it was getting to a point where if I didn't get this thing taken care of, I'm probably going to be in even worse shape either now, but most definitely when I'm older. And, uh, when you've got a young toddler running around at home, you can't keep up with or pick up sometimes cause your knee is blown out. You, you know, it puts things into perspective and you gotta, you know, put real life first over right. pro wrestling sometimes. So I, I went and got that done and, uh, two years later got that done knowing it was going to be nine to 12 months off, which I, you know, mentally took a long time to get adjusted to just the idea of doing that before even committing to the surgery, um, had the surgery, thought it went great was told it went great and uh it was the most the, the next i i finished that surgery i got out of surgery at five o'clock and i was at our wrestling show an hour later and appeared on our event fresh off the uh the emergency table so to speak um which probably is something i shouldn't have done um but i was at the event and we had a 10-day tour right after that so i went right on the road um, when most people usually have a full ACL reconstruction, from what I understand, is they go and they sit in their bed for a couple months or at least a couple weeks and they rest and recover. Uh, I did the opposite. I went full tilt, which is probably, you know, either either my problem that occurred following this was either because of that or it could have happened in the surgery. They're not sure. Um, but I was definitely uh, 
I was up and moving. I wasn't slowing down. I mentally told myself, we're going to get through this. We're not going to put life on hold. Um, and in the process, my knee was getting extremely painful. We're on the road and man, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it here. Like grown men do cry, or at least I did. Um, cause I'd never experienced pain like this in my life. Like I couldn't stand, I couldn't sit, I couldn't lay down. My knee was in such excruciating pain that I couldn't function as a human being and it was just getting worse, but I've never had this type of surgery before. So I, I just chalked it up to like, Oh, Danny, you're being a bitch. Like this is surgery. All your friends have had it. Athletes have it. Just suck it up and, and deal with it. Um, but I've, like I mentioned earlier, I've, I've wrestled through so many tears and muscle tears and injuries before. I'd never experienced anything like this, but I'd never had any, a surgery of this, of this level before. So I just assumed it was a part of the game. Um, but it kept getting worse and getting worse. And then all of a sudden it started to get a little funny looking and there started to be some colors and there started to be some pus. And I was like, all right, you know, maybe this is worse than I thought it was. So, um, you know, I ended up going to an emergency room and they're like, yeah, your, uh, your legs infected you idiot. And if, uh, you, you wouldn't have got here, you know, any sooner than you did, there's a good chance you could have lost this thing. Um, so I ended up having a bad staph infection in my knee from what they think is a surgical infection. Um, so my leg was in really rough shape. So I had to go in for a second surgery just weeks later to clear the infection. And man, if I thought that first surgery was bad, this second one was 10 times worse. Um, they ripped my knee to shit just to make sure they got everything out of there. Um, so, so I was, uh, under the knife again, they cleared it out. I had to stay in the hospital for a while. Um, and then, and then because of how serious the infection was and how far it spread, I had to, I had to go through daily IV treatment. So I had to go to the hospital every single day for six weeks and have antibiotics pumped into my body, uh, to make sure this infection didn't spread or come back because you could lose a limb if it does. Um, so finished round two, thought we were in the clear there, uh, but not so lucky. Third time was the charm, I guess. And uh, within a week of that second surgery, my knee started to balloon up again. So here I am thinking it's reinfected. It's getting worse. Um, it, it got to levels of pain again that were just completely unreasonable. Uh, so I ended up going back into the, the surgeon again, and they, they found that my knee had developed a hematoma. So I had to go in and have that drained for surgery number three in seven weeks. And uh, once that one was done, that was the first surgery I actually felt better after because having that giant hematoma drained from my leg actually offered me so much pain relief and actually offered me some functionality again that I was able to actually relax and rest and recover uh, for the first time since the first surgery. So we're uh, so we got those three in, in seven weeks done and we've been in the clear ever since. I just hit my five month mark on my physiotherapy last week everything's on track, if not doing better than it should be. The legs getting stronger. I'm lifting in the gym again. I can squat, I can leg press, I can, you know, I can squat, jump onto boxes. Uh, so my leg is in, in that sense, doing better and stronger than it's been in three years, which is fantastic mentally. It, it's such a relief. Um, as someone who was once quite athletic in my younger years, it's nice to have some form of athleticism back uh, just for, you know, your own mental peace of mind. Um, but we're still a ways to go. They say, they say another, I think it was another four to six months. Uh, I still can't do any lateral movements. I can't do any running yet. Um, but those are, those are to come in the next couple, couple months. So we're still plugging away on that. And then hopefully, 
hopefully if that stays on track, I can kind of dip my toes in and, and start wrestling again. Um, but they're, they've been very adamant to, you know, hang tight and just make sure because when you're doing something, you know, as physical as pro wrestling, you know, a contact sport, you know, you can control your own body, but you can't control others. And all it takes is somebody dropping you or somebody hitting you at a, a bad angle. And if your leg doesn't have the proper support yet, you're tearing that thing up and you're, you're starting all over from square one. So it's definitely been a, it's been a learning curve for me because I'm not used to sitting and, and letting my body rest. I'm, I'm used to just go, go, go. Um, but after going through almost three years of this, you know, physical disaster, I don't want to risk repeating it again. Um, like I've had, I've, I've got a lot of friends in the business, some that have torn both ACLs that never got them worked on and, and they're moving really rough, um, but they kept going. Um, I've had guys that, you know, I know guys that came back after six months, you know, which the surgeon said you can do. But if you wait till nine, you know, there's a, you know, 40% less chance of injury. So, you know, now at 21 years, you know, into the business and, and getting up there in age um, for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm using my brain instead of my body and, and just making sure my, my body is ready to go. There's no rush. There's no, you know, six months is, is in a month where some guys do come back and I probably could mentally, I feel like I could just because I wrestled on it torn for two years. I know I can work around it and be fine. But at this at this stage of the game, I'm not I'm not showing up on Raw on Monday night. I'm not doing WrestleMania in the spring, uh, so there's no reason to to not wait the extra three to four months and just be sure the body's ready to go. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now. Now, I mean, you mentioned you know after the first surgery, you got out of bed and you went to the cell that day, and then went on a ten day tour. Is that like a, um, um, a wrestler mentality or like a personal mentality of yours? I, I think both. Um, it's it's definitely an old wrestler mentality and uh, not to be the old guy yelling at the clouds and saying kids these days because um, maybe they're smarter than we are. Um, but there's definitely, there's definitely a part of the culture now that like even the smallest thing, like, and I can attest to this as a promoter and booker, you'll have guys that just cop out of their dates on the smallest physical inconvenience when I broke into, into the business and I started training, my trainer, you know, I was, you know, an impressionable teenager. So, you know, that's probably why I, I hung on to every word as serious as I did, but also someone who was a lifelong fan of the business. You know, you, you read the stories and, you know, the folklore of guys being tough and wrestling through everything. Um, so you, you kind of have that mentality in your head, you know, getting into the business, even when you're young. But my, my trainer was, was very adamant that you make your dates. He says, if you can walk and get in that ring, you make it work. And that's truthfully when you learn to work, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, he 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 was very clear. Like, is in Canada, you know, there's a lot of touring comp, or there has been a lot of different touring companies over the years. So there's a lot of times, you know, you're going on the road for a couple of weeks at a time, and you're wrestling every night. And there's a small crew of guys. So if if you call in sick or call in hurt for you know every physical you know inconvenience. You know, you're not you're not helping your promoter, you're not helping your wrestlers, um, and you're 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 burdening them with your workload. So, you know, it's best just to kind of you know tape it up, kid, as they say, and you keep on going. You learn to work around it. Um, but he said it very matter of factly. He's like, if 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 you don't wrestle every time you're hurt, you're never going to wrestle. The second you start doing this and you start doing it consistently, you're always going to be in some kind of pain or, or dealing with some kind of injury. And that's the truth. Once you start doing this and especially start doing it a lot, 
there's always something that's bugging you. So you learn to deal with it. You know, that's not, and that's not to say you neglect it and make it worse. You don't go and, and intentionally cause further harm to yourself, but man, like at, at this stage of the game, my knees are bad. Like, you know, lower back pain, you know, your neck, like er- everything's going to be bugging you after you've been bumping for so many years. That's just the nature of the game. And, and you, right. you know that and you agree to that when you get into it. But on the, on the flip side, you know, like I said, I'm not advocating for, Hey, if you're injured, go and, be a moron and, and further hurt yourself. But being hurt is when you truly like for me and I can, you know, and I, I have a couple friends that, that say the exact same thing. It wasn't until getting hurt um, or seriously hurt or having to work through pretty severe injury that you truly learn how to work and how to do this properly. Because when you're young and your body is fresh, you can rely on the physicality to get the desired response you need from the audience. If your back is fresh and it doesn't hurt, you don't mind taking a stupid bump or, you know, being a part of a stupid high spot to elicit a response from the audience. But when you have that physically taken away from you, when you can't take that big bump or you can't come off the top rope or you can't run a certain way, you have to get creative if you're going to get over and stay over and stay booked. So you then learn to work around it and you find other ways to elicit, uh, you know, the response you're looking for from the audience. Um, you know, so that's something that that's been real beneficial. So instead of, you know, calling in hurt, so to speak, and hey, I'm taking the day off, you know, my mentality and, you know, guys that broke in around here anyways, from from my era, you know, sh- and probably shortly after and definitely way before that was always the attitude. It's like, all right, you're hurt. We're all hurt. But communicate that with your booker, communicate that with the guy you're in the ring with and let's work around it. You know, like if a guy comes to me and says, hey, my knees in rough shape or my back's in bad shape. No problem, brother. I got you. And we work around it. And then when it's my turn, when I'm hurt and beat up, he does the same for me. I protect him. He protects me. And we keep on going and we keep on making money. We keep on making, you know, the dates that we committed to or, you know, the, the, the fans paid to see us for that they expected to. Um, and we're not putting anybody out because there's nothing. I, I, I can't stress this enough. If there's any young wrestlers listening out there. If you commit to a date, make that date. Um, for many reasons, you know, you're promoted. And even though you may not be a big star, you're someone's favorite wrestler. It might be one person. It might be one single human on this planet. You might be their favorite wrestler. And they. Oh. Okay, so uh, I'll, I'll start from the top there if you want to edit. Um, so so I can't advise this enough for for young wrestlers. Like, make your dates for, for many reasons. Uh, you know, even though you may be small and insignificant in the wrestling world in terms of your value and your your name and, and, and marketability and, and such once you start wrestling there's a good chance you're someone's favorite wrestler it might only be one person it might be one single person on this entire planet uh but they love you and they might have bought a ticket to see you that night and they expected to see you you're on the poster you're advertised in a match and when you're not there you disappoint them you know, so if you can physically get in the building and be there, even if you physically can't participate to some capacity, make your date, honor your commitment, get in the building because you never know who came to saw you and how and, and how that's going to affect, you know, the business and their return business. Um, secondly, you made a commitment to a promoter, you know, honor your word, be there. Um, it, that's so important. And as a promoter myself now, like I can't stress how important that is. There's nothing worse and nothing that turns me off of a talent more when I hear they don't make their dates or oh so and so canceled because uh, this came up or that came up. It's like if you if you made a commitment and you gave your word to be there, come hell or high water, you get there. 
You know, I've, I've been on the road when, when cars have broken down, there's been accidents, you know, like snowstorms. Um, just I've gone, you know, where you've had to get a rental, you've had to hitchhike, or, you know, hitchhike a ride, call a ride, whatever the case may be. Make your date because it's very stressful for a promoter or a booker when, especially if you're in an angle or been promoted in some kind of featured position and you're not there. You know, you're letting everybody down. You're letting the fans down. You're letting the boys down. And it's it's tough. It's tough to find guys on short notice, especially if you're somebody of value or importance. And now you're not there. Now we got to shuffle the card around. And now the, the show isn't as good. Um, like there's so many different reasons and faucets on why that's important. Um, but but something I feel that needs to be said. No, without a doubt. Um, definitely that's not, unfortunately, not all wrestlers have that work ethic nowadays. Dude, I was in a bad car accident. I don't know if you if you saw this in your in your research, but like I was in a pretty publicized car wreck in 2019. We were on tour. My car hit the ditch. Um, I was in the passenger seat of my car, and we flipped upside down in a ditch, and I nearly drowned to death. Um, if it wasn't for psychosis of, of WCW and Lucha Libre fame pulling me out of a, a body of water. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. Uh, the, the, the car wreck was not good. Totaled my car. Uh, uh, my back was in real rough shape because we rolled over. Um, and we had a show the following Friday. And I'm not telling, I'm not encouraging this by any means because this is my own stupidity and I don't encourage anyone to be as extreme as me. Um, but I was at the show. Granted, it was my show, but I was at the show. Um, <laughs> I didn't wrestle. I was going to because I'm an idiot. Um, but I was talked out of it and, uh, you know, but I was in an angle. So we, we worked around it because that's what you do. Okay. Well, I can't wrestle as planned, but we can do this segment instead. You know, I'm physically here. I, d I don't need to take a bump, but I was, I was in rough shape, but, but I, I was there and I remember a guy coming up to me in the locker room, uh, and I'll, I'll leave his name. I'll, I'll omit his name from the record. So he doesn't get any unnecessary heat for being a J Brone, but he came up to me and he's like, oh man, I kind of hurt my back at work today. I'm not gonna be able to wrestle. And I'm thinking, you son of a bitch. Like I literally almost died last week. I'm like, I have like, I think I had a walking cane for my back and I'm like, I'm here and I'm making it work. Like, what do you mean you can't wrestle? Okay. If you can't wrestle, like we can do something else. We can make it a tag match. We can like, there's other options. Like just no, not, not doing it. My back is sore tonight. Like I've been wrestling over 20 years. My back is sore every fucking night. Like, that's that's the reality of pro wrestling. Like, if if you're gonna if you're gonna call in hurt because your back hurts, then you may as well just stop because there's not going to be a day, probably any time after you start taking back bumps, that your back just doesn't hurt anymore. Like that's just the reality of pro wrestling, <laughs> and you know that the second you walk into a wrestling school, and you definitely know it the second you take your first back bump. Like, eh, life as I know it is no longer the same. You know, a lot of wrestlers could say that they wrestled psychosis. I don't think a lot many could say that they that psychosis saved their life. <laughs> as far as I know, I'm the only one. But uh, he, he is a very good, kind man. So if I if I heard that he saved a um, a litter of baby kittens from a burning fire, I would not be surprised. That that's the kind of guy he is. Now keeping on uh, CWE. Can you tell us about the documentary that was shot about uh, your promotion? Um, how did that come about? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? How did that work out? 
Uh, they approached us. Uh, so the man who put that together was a knee. He, uh, he's a referee for me now, Scott Carnegie. He's been involved with the local wrestling business here in Manitoba since the late 90s, 96, 97. He's been on and off, uh, you know, in his involvement over the years. But he's, he's, a, he's a producer. He has his own film studio. Um, he's dabbled in training of pro wrestling. He's a referee for pro wrestling. Um, but he had this concept of wanting to go on the road and, and put one of our tours out there for the world to see, because as we talked about earlier, there's nobody going across the country, you know, doing 20 plus days in a row, especially in the dead of winter, uh, performing every single night. So in this day and age, that's, that's unique, you know, 30 years ago, that was the norm, but now we're the only people doing that. So he wanted to kind of capture that culture and show the world what was going on up here. And, uh, you know, kind of tell our story. So he, he came to me with the idea. And uh, truthfully, when he first came to me, I said, yeah, sure, man, no problem. But I was kind of uh, dismissive of it um, because at that point I probably had, you know, four or five different documentary promoters or sorry, uh, four or five documentary creators, um, you know, over the last couple of years prior to that, reach out to me with similar similar ideas and nothing ever really came to fruition. So when he brought it up, it was like, yeah, man, sure, of course. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, but I didn't really have much expectation just based on the experiences I've had with others approaching me prior. Uh, but he came back and he came back and he said, hey, this is moving, that's moving. And we started to put the pieces together and, and you know, the stars kind of aligned. His, his timeline to wanting to get it started was right around the time we had a nice 21-day tour booked at the you know, in the dead of winter going across the entire country and to top it off, we had, you know, Jake, the snake Roberts headlining that tour. So for him as a documentary producer, he's not only getting the content and the story, um, you know, this unique story of these Canadian wrestlers and, and guys from multiple countries, you know, culminating here to go across the, the, the country in minus 50 weather, you know, but then the icing on the cake was we had, you know, one of the biggest stars in the history of pro wrestling headlining the tour, which doesn't hurt, uh, you know, when you're, you know, promoting or marketing a documentary. <laughs> so, uh, so it all kind of came together and, and he came on the road with us and it's, uh, it's funny you bring the documentary up. because I just started watching uh, the wrestlers documentary on Netflix, um, you know, cause I, I've wrestled for OVW on a couple occasions and, you know, I have a lot of friends there and a lot of guys that I've worked with in other organizations that are there now. So I was very intrigued to, to check it out and I'm watching the wrestlers documentary and I'm thinking, Oh, this is exactly what ours was five years ago. So we were kind of, you know, just before the curve on it. Um, but they got, you know, obviously a bigger brand and, and a bigger platform with Netflix. Um, but it's kind of cool to see that come together because it's essentially what the ring warriors Canadian wrestling's elite documentary was it was kind of the wrestlers documentary um but you know put in you know under an hour instead of multiple episodes but that was kind of the initial plan because when we spoke about doing it that was kind of the pitch like this can be a this can be a series very much like the wrestlers one is now you know this can be a five six seven eight episode series especially for us because we go on the road year round so you always got fresh talent coming in you've always got new events being produced um so that, that thing's taken on a life of its own. That was in 2017. Man, five, that was five years ago. And to this day, on a regular, you know, a, you know, on a semi-regular basis, I have people reach out to me for the first time saying, hey, I just saw your documentary, like whether it be on Amazon or Tubi or, or you know, these other platform services, like in different countries, you know, five, six years after the fact, like we're still getting recognition 
um, and distribution for that documentary and, and bringing eyes to the product. So it's uh, it's really cool. I thought it was very, very well done. I thought he made us look a lot better than we really are. He's a fantastic producer and filmmaker. And uh, after watching the wrestlers documentary a couple days ago or a few episodes of it, I shot him a message and I said, hey, man, we missed the boat here. We got to keep on moving. This is popular. <laughs> So uh, maybe we can get the get the ball rolling again and 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 get some more content in the can now that uh, the world's back up and running. Now, is that what we saw in the documentary? Is that usually typically what happens during these tours, or did all the special problems come up for that documentary? No, that uh, well. What what happened there is, I guess, unique to its own tour, but literally every single documentary, or not every documentary, sorry, every single tour has its own set of, of circumstance. It's like, you know, we did a tour over the summer in Ontario where we had to, you know, refund 90% of our audience because our ring truck and trailer broke down on the side of the road and we couldn't get assistance in time to get it there, you know, so we had, you know, 300 people packed in a building with no wrestling ring. Um, that we kept being told was going to make it and didn't, um, you know, just the economics and the realities of running a touring company in Canada with the terrain here and the highways here. Um, I don't think people understand, even with the Ring Warriors documentary, how severe it can be sometimes and what a tall task it is to pull off these tours. So literally every single time. Um, like that was, that was in July, the tour prior to that going to Ontario, my guys were in a horrible accident where the ring truck and trailer rolled over on the side of the road in an ice storm guy had to get rushed to the hospital. Like literally every single tour, there is something it's, it's completely, it's, it's maybe it's not, but if it isn't, I haven't figured out a way yet. Like it seems completely unavoidable. There will be disaster. It's just a matter of when and how bad, um, but like, that's just the pro wrestling business, man. Like as I'm talking to you now, an hour an hour ago, I almost didn't do this interview because I was about to put a freaking hole in the wall uh, dealing with the manager of one of our venues and just some silliness that's going on that's just completely unnecessary, but just is, you know, the daily drama that is pro wrestling and some of the characters that are involved in it that's just would, you know, blow most people's minds that you have to deal with on a regular day. But, you know, that's kind of, uh, you know, as I talked about, when you get into wrestling, you understand the circumstances of what you're getting into. You do that as a promoter as well. You realize you're dealing with eccentric characters and people, um, some of the most intelligent people in the world, um, some of the most unintelligent people in the world and everything in between. So you're you're dealing with just a, a wide spectrum of people and personalities on a daily basis. So something's always bound to happen, um, you know, because of that. Um, and, and I'm, you know, it's, it's hard not to, you know, get stressed or get angry with things sometimes because sometimes it's so simple and it's made very difficult when it doesn't need to be, you know, but like I try very hard now, like especially as, you know, having the child in the house and, 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 you know, having a family around, like trying to, trying to, maneuver it a little bit more peacefully now like if i'm home with my family and not on the road i try to not pick up my phone until a little bit later in the day and i put it away a little sooner in the day because the second you open up there's some kind of trouble that needs to be attended to with pro wrestling and if if you let it it can consume you and sometimes it's unavoidable and it has to and uh it's it's tough like there's there's always going to be a set of challenges you know because especially when you're running as many events as you are you're dealing with 
you know, just on any single event, you're dealing with a venue, you're dealing with multiple sponsors, you're dealing with media, uh, you're dealing with advertisers, you're dealing with uh, uh, travel agents, you're dealing with X amount of talent that are booked on the show, you're dealing with hotel, you're dealing with so many different faucets and so many different people attached to those faucets that hitting a home run with every one of them is a pipe dream. You're going to, you're going to butt head somewhere along the way or have some communication with somebody, no matter how hard you try or no matter how routine it is, it's just the nature of the beast and, and dealing with people. So you, you got to learn to navigate that the best you can. But because of that, there's, there's always, there's always an adventure every single day. And I'm definitely glad that you did decide to jump on and do this interview because I'm really digging this conversation. <laughs> No, I'm glad you had me, man. Like I said, about an hour ago, I was going to be like, sorry, dude, if I get on there, I'm going to say some horrible things about somebody that I shouldn't. And I need to clear my head. Uh, but you've, you've been my therapy session over the last year. You reminded me that business, the business is, is fun. It is, it is fun. And it's fun. To, you know, it's full of good people and, and good intention for the most part. And that's, that's ultimately why we do this because, you know, as much bad and negativity there can be in pro wrestling, and, and for whatever reason, you know, pro wrestling just kind of breeds that, you know, sometimes it's like just the mentality that's within the business, but you also see it in the fan culture as well. You know, if, if you're a fan of a major wrestling organization, you know, whether you follow WWE or AEW, you hop on the internet for five minutes and it's just, it's negativity spewed every which way possible, which is so strange to me um, that that negativity exists in so many different faucets of the business uh, because pro wrestling is the greatest thing in the world, man. At least to me, it's the, it's the best thing in the world. There's nothing I love more um, in that aspect than pro wrestling. Um, and it brings so much joy and so much happiness to me that it's just, why can't everyone enjoy it like this? Why, why, do we, why must we fight and argue and disagree? You know, some will say it's passion, and sometimes passion will collide. But other times, I don't know, man. It's like pro wrestling is so wonderful. Enjoy it for what it is. Enjoy the people for what it is. It's not always going to be how you want it or how you would have done it, um, you know. But a lot of times it will be, you know. So you take the highs with the lows, and it's it's such a great thing. It's such a you know, as a fan, as someone in the business, like it's so great. And I wish I wish more people would appreciate it for how great it is, and you know, take a more positive perspective on it because especially when it's done right it's it's the greatest thing in the world and uh, and you know uh going back to the documentary god bless jake the snake roberts for doing that 21 day tour you know at his age with his injuries um yeah he he was having a tough time man i think uh, right at the beginning it's been a few years since i've watched the documentary but i remember they captured it great right off the beginning if i if i'm not mistaken uh but it was just him arriving in canada yes. it was like minus 50 and he's like you know what the f am i doing here <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's funny because like you know that was you know it was only five six years ago but that's that's a lot of time but I remember being younger at the time and thinking like, God, come on, man, it's just another day at the office, dude. Like for us, like we're on the road all the time in the winter. So you don't think anything of it, but now, you know, you fast forward five, six years for myself personally, and I'm still much younger than what Jake was in that documentary then. And like, now I get it. I'm like, when it's, <laughs> when your body's beat up and you're tired and you know, you, you're hurt in, and you're dealing with injuries that cold weather is not fun and I completely relate and understand on a different level than I did it then. So I apologize, Jake, and I fully respect and appreciate your struggle. <laughs> now, um, 
you know, for anybody that hasn't seen the documentary, spoiler alert, um, you tore your um, ligament in your shoulder, you left the tour, you came back to the tour, um, and Jake actually helped you plan your match with, I believe it was against uh, AJ Santek. Uh, Sanchez. Yes. So what did so, that mean to you to have, you know, such a legend and such a great mind making, planning your match with you? Well, he didn't necessarily plan my match with me, but he offered me some insight that, you know, goes back to what I was saying about you learn how to learn how to work properly when you're hurt. So before that, three days before that 21 day tour, we had an event in Winnipeg. We do a, we do a small um, 18 plus show in Winnipeg, you know, every, every two months or so. Um, but it was three days before that tour was supposed to start. And like I mentioned with my knee injury, it's always something so simple you get hurt on. It's never, it's never the crazy power bomb from the top rope to the floor through the three tables that you'll get up and do jumping jacks. It's always something so simple. So in this case, I was wrestling a, a, a fellow, by the name of Kevin O'Doyle, the Boston bruiser. And uh, he was just breaking in. Like he probably only had like single digits amount of matches. And he was uh, AJ Sanchez's trainee, his tag team partner at the time. Um, but like fresh out of wrestling school, pretty much still in wrestling school, probably like, like brand new, but you know, we're, we're starting to get him his experience and get him his reps and, um, I was doing a tag match with him. I was teaming with Tyler Colton, who's also featured in that documentary. And we're minutes, literally minutes into this match. And he's a big boy. And uh, at that, like, and he's like, he's a big boy in the sense that he's like 340, 350. Um, I was a pretty big boy myself at that time. Um, and I, I came in to clothesline him. And like, he was going to stand his ground. But because he was green and nervous and just out of position, I went to, to clothesline him in the chest and, and place it how I would have placed it a million times prior in my, my, my lifetime. At the last second, he got nervous. Probably he saw these huge jacked arms of steel coming his way. And uh, he, he, turned his, he turned his shoulder into me and took his chest away, but put the head of his shoulder right into me. So as I came to clothesline him, my peck and bicep collided full tilt right on the head of this big bastard shoulder. And, uh, you know, if I would have, if I would have got him flesh on the chest, you would have got a nice smack. But instead, because it was the tendons of my, my pectoral muscle and my bicep, it was a big pop instead. And within seconds, like, like I shouldn't even say seconds instantly. I was like, Oh shit. Like you knew something was bad. I couldn't lift my arm. Like it tore right, right off. Uh, so I went, luckily it was a tag match and I was able to tag out and, you know, like trying to shake it off on the outside. I, I had never torn my bicep before I torn my pec, but only partially before, but never to that extreme. So like I'm on the apron going, okay, it's not that bad. Just take a second. And I'm stretching it out and feeling it out, rubbing it out, like trying to, trying to get it functional and trying to tag back in and trying to do stuff. I'm like, no man, this thing is done. Um, you know, so we got through it and sure enough, it ended up being a torn pec and bicep and uh, within within days, like from my chest all the way down to my wrist, it was just purple and blue. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they caught some of that in the documentary. I don't know if they got the full extent of how how bad it got. Yeah, um, with the, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty gross. 
So yeah, we had the, you know, we did the tour and, and silly me, like most guys, most people with a brain in their head, um, would be like, all right, I tore my pec and bicep. I'm going to sit this one out. Um, but I'm like, no, no, it's fine. We'll work around it. So, um, and that's exactly what I did. I wrestled, you know, that tour. Um, but to get back to what you're saying about Jake. So, you know, we're a couple nights into that tour and I'm, I'm in a, I'm in an angle with AJ Sanchez at that time. And, um, I've wrestled AJ, man, I, I, I wouldn't be exaggerating if I said 500 times, like I could wrestle him with my eyes closed. Um, he's, he's, you know, one of, one of my, you know, best opponents. Um, we've, we've, we've done it a lot. So, you know, what, like I said earlier, if, you know, you're hurt, you, you know, you communicate with your opponent and you let them know, Hey, here, here's what's going on. And you work around it. That so I you know we end up flipping things around on that tour where I would exclusively work with AJ because AJ is one of the best safest pro wrestlers you'll ever encounter of any generation. He's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I knew getting in there with him, even him being a big boy of you know three forty three fifty, he could take care of me if I communicate with him like, hey, here's what's going on, and that's and that's exactly what he did. So like on the first night or second night of the tour, we're having this match and, and I'm going full tilt, like I'm hurt, but I'm going full tilt and I'm, I'm, you know, my, my arm is visibly discolored as you can see in the documentary, like my bicep, my chest is purple and blue. So the people could tell it's disgusting. Um, so it only makes sense that he's attacking that part of my body, you know, at least in my mind, because if you know your damaged goods going into a fight, you're going to attack the you know the the damaged armor. Right. So you know that's what we did in those those first mat the matches or two. And I remember clear as day because it, it makes me even I can feel the sympathy pains as I tell this story. I walked through the curtain after one of those matches with AJ and Jake, being that fun loving bastard he is, <laughs> uh, wound up and like punched me full tilt right in the chest, like right where my torn pec was nearly dropped me to the floor. And I'm like, like let out like a scream of pain. Like I thought it was like a bad rib. I'm like, what the fuck you doing, man? Like that hurts. And, uh, you know, but it, it, you know, it was a rib. He had a good laugh at it, but there was, there was a lesson in that rib and that he's like, see how bad that hurt. And I said, yeah, that hurt. He's like, yeah, the people can see it hurts that bad too. So, you know, what does that tell them? when AJ's got a hold of it and he's beating it up for 15 minutes and the match continues to go on when I simply put you down by, you know, making contact with it. And that was kind of a light bulb that went off like, Oh shit. Yeah. I didn't really think of that. We're kind of telling everyone it's all bullshit. If you know, they can see, see the extent of my injury and how, how badly beat up I am, but you know, it's not phasing me and I'm able to keep on going. You know, so, you know, with some fine tuning in his advice, you know, you know, those matches got changed instead of him beating the shit out of that arm and peck for 15 minutes. It was 15 minutes of him trying to beat the shit out of that arm and peck and me doing everything I could to protect it. But by the time he got, you know, but when he would eventually get a hold of it, it was lights out because, you know, no normal man's going to be able to, you know, withhold that pain threshold. And the matches end up being a lot better because of it, you know, with that simple, simple change of story. And with that, with that valuable lesson that cost me my long-term health, probably <laughs> of wrestling with that torn injury, you know, those torn muscles, uh, you know, that's, that's a lesson I've been able to, you know, take on and, and apply 
without having the serious injury to go with it, but you know, the work professional wrestling injury on any given event. So um, it was a valuable lesson in psychology that was very useful and very beneficial because of, you know, Jake's mentorship on the tour. Now, everybody knows listening that I'm a big arena guy. I love my wrestling arenas. And when it comes to Japanese pro wrestling, there's few bigger arenas than Corrigan Hall. And you competed in the world-famous Corrigan Hall. What was that experience like? That was great, man. Um, definitely an honor. Like Anyone who, who knows me or follows my career or any of that knows that I'm a pro wrestling traditionalist. Like I, I love 80s, 90s pro wrestling. Um, you know, I, you know, I grew up on wrestling from the age of three on like my earliest memories on this planet are pro wrestling. So like, I love the history of pro wrestling. I love the tradition of pro wrestling. Um, you know, and I even like tied that into my character for the longest time, you know, it was kind of the retro rocker. I had my Rivera jacket, my Zubaz pants, my fanny pack. This was all before everybody else started doing it again. I made it cool first. Um, but, uh, so to wrestle in Cork and Hall was, was an honor and it was great. Cause I was in Japan prior to that a few years before for, uh, Yoshihiro Tajiri's promotion. And one of the events I was originally booked for was supposed to be in Corican. Uh, or was advertised as that Corican. And for whatever reason, it changed when I got there. Like it probably changed long before I got there. But from when I initially saw it announced to when I got to Japan, it ended up being in a different building. So I was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. Like it was still great, obviously, to be there and participate, but I was super looking forward to it just because of all the historic matches that have taken place there. Um, so to actually get that opportunity, um, was was great man it was uh and it's funny because i talk about being like a wrestling traditionalist and like anyone who anyone who like watches my wrestling closely especially like you know my prime years i would say like you're like yeah he's he's an 80s wrestler you know like any even the veterans from that era that would be on tour with us are like yeah kid you kind of missed the boat you're 22 you know you're 20 years too late um but here i am in cork and hall um you know this this old school traditional style pro wrestling or pro wrestler and like I'm doing Gaga with like my pants getting pulled down, um, which was like, you know, a Gaga spot in the eighties too. Um, but like prior to the event at Corican hall, there was like a small DDT affiliate show that I participated on. And it was like, it was like a very small intimate show, like a bar show here in, you know, North America with, you know, a small audience. Um, and I was working a green opponent. So like we, like I was doing Gaga, I wasn't going to go out there and do strong style in front of a hundred people and beat the shit out of someone and vice versa. Uh, so, you know, we're doing like house show spots and one of them was like my, my tights got pulled down. Um, and you know, my butt got exposed and you know, that's, you know, in DDT, that's acceptable for fans that are familiar with DDT, but that's oh, yeah. different from you know, the varying other styles of pro wrestling that are, you know, popular in Japan. So sure enough, I get to the back and, uh, you know, one of the bookers absolutely loved it. He was like, he was so, he was so excited about that spot and how well it gotten over that he was adamant that I had to do it at Cork and Hall, but not just once. I think I ended up doing it like three times. He's like, he wanted the whole match based around that. So here I am like young, full of piss and vinegar going to Cork and Hall. Like, all right, I'm going to go have like this super J cup style match and, or Tokyo Dome style match at Cork and Hall and leave my mark on pro wrestling. Uh, but in reality, here I am doing my ass getting pulled out in front of, you know, a couple thousand people on IP. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
review in Japan instead. Uh, you know, per the booker's request. So not not quite what I envisioned uh, when I first uh, showed up to the building or showed up to Japan that trip. But uh, I'm glad it worked out that way because it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was kind of it was too bad I didn't end up staying out there longer because even uh, you know we did a couple house shows after that too. And uh, they were so ecstatic. Like DDT was so happy that I was like a throwback southern style uh you know walk and talk gaga style pro wrestler and that's all they wanted me to do because nobody there does it but a lot of those japanese wrestlers and you know bookers they grew up on like southern and 80 styles pro american wrestling um so they love that stuff and they like so like i i remember like sitting and talking with so many of them um, in the locker room at the after parties and such about like 80s 90s wrestling and they were just so we, we were just sharing stories about the guys they saw that came over to japan from america and my stories of watching them growing up in north america and uh, they were just so excited to have somebody that understood and appreciated that style of pro wrestling and was willing to you know execute it in this day and age um, because most guys will come to Japan just like I was planning to and being like, all right, we're going in there. We're knocking heads off and kicking skulls in. And they're like, oh, man, you don't have to do any of that here. Please, please do this ha-ha stuff instead. <laughs> yes, sir, no problem. Now, you know, speaking about being, you know, a traditional Joe Back wrestler, there's nothing more traditional than the NWA. And you actually competed for the 10 pounds of gold against Adam Pierce. What was that experience like? Man, I can still feel that experience. Adam Pierce, he's now known to the wrestling world for holding a microphone on national television, but the Adam Pierce who got inside the squared circle was one of the toughest guys I've ever, ever shared a ring with. Uh, one of the best wrestlers too. Like scrap iron is not a moniker that that boy can go. Um, and I've shared the ring with him on multiple occasions, and I have nothing but respect for Adam Pierce. He's he is an incredible pro wrestler. Um, but that was that was my first impression of Adam was getting in the ring with him and going, "Oh shit!" Uh, you, you could feel him, and not and not and not in a way that's like dangerous or reckless. You're like fearing for your life or getting hurt. But when Adam hits you, he he hits you, which is fine by me because that that's how I was you know raised in the world of pro wrestling and you know training under Johnny Devine is like you lay your shit in, um, but a lot of guys don't do that and they don't like that. Um, so it was kind of like a wake up call getting in the ring with him, going, "Oh shit, we're going." <laughs> um, so he was here in 2010 for CWE, and he was the NWA World Champion, but also the Booker for Ring of Honor, and uh, he he came to CWE. He did a tryout. Uh, a Ring of Honor tryout for a crew, which uh, got Kamikaze uh, an opportunity in in Ring of Honor, and then uh, I wrestled Adam in a title match on on the show that night, and was uh, you know came up short in in winning the NWA World Title in my hometown, like many good locals over history have done. Um, but you know, earned Adam's respect and earned an opportunity and was able to get my foot in the door, um, with ring of honor in 2010 as well. Um, you talk about the business changing and what could have been, um, Adam was super gracious. He, he got myself and, and Kamikaze an opportunity in ring of honor following that. And, uh, um, was it that we, and then, uh, yeah, it was that. So, so that was in like, I think July. July of 2010. So I had my 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 first Ring of Honor match. Was that my first or second? I can't. Maybe 
Uh, that's irrelevant. But either way, Adam, Adam was the booker. He got, he got my foot in the door for a tryout. And I was like, I'm going to go knock it out of the park. I'm, I was confident of that. Um, but a month later I'm on tour again. I was on tour with Jimmy Jacobs. I think Roderick strong was on tour with us. Um, Shane Helms, um, like it was a pretty stacked tour, but I remember like I had my ring of honor match coming up in like the fall, like September, October in Toronto, whenever, whenever it was, and just being so excited. I'm 20 something years old. I'm like, all right, I'm getting my big break. I think I had WWE that fall as well for the first time. So like shit's starting to happen. You know, you're starting to think big things are coming. You're starting to, you know, live your dreams, so to speak. And, you know, you come to learn as you're older, it's all bullshit. It means nothing. But um, at the time, man, you're taking over the world. And uh, I remember being on tour. We're in Saskatchewan in, in August 2010. And the press release breaks <laughs> that, that Adam Pierce has been removed as Booker of Ring of Honor. Oh, like, oh fantastic. <laughs> and then, like, none of the Ring of Honor guys on tour even knew. Like, it was, it was, it was, like, it was a breaking news story to everyone, including the crew at the time. Uh, but I remember going, oh, shit. Well, that sucks for Adam because Adam is great, and I really enjoyed Adam. Uh, but secondly, I'm like, this sucks for me too, because what does that mean? Um, you know, but Adam was, was great. He, uh, he, you know, was a man of his word. And even though he had much more important things to worry about, think about with his career changing, and here I am just some lowly Canadian jabron um, that he promised a dark match to, you know, reached out and said, hey, man, I'm not there anymore, but don't worry. I'll make sure that your opportunity is honored. And uh, he, he was a man of his word. We ended up going and we had a match in Toronto in front of, you know, with a couple thousand people or whatever it was. And it was a good experience. Um, and But I was right when Hunter Johnson or Delirious took over. And I remember thinking like, well, no matter how good this probably is, this is kind of like a favor to Adam, um, you know, and then we're starting from scratch all over again. And that's pretty much what it was because, you know, when you have a change in management, everything switches over and, you know, guys are going to go and new guys are going to come in based on that management and their direction. So I just remember thinking like, man, talk about just the timing, not lining up. And uh, it wasn't for like a couple more years. I think it was like 2012. I'd like, I bit the bullet and I went and did like a ring of honor tryout um, in Philadelphia with Hunter now well-established as the Booker of Ring of Honor. And, you know, through that and uh, his graciousness, you know, I was granted multiple more Ring of Honor matches over the the, the next couple years. Um, so that's way off track from where you started with Adam. But, man, that got me going down memory lane. It was just what a wild time that was. Um, but, yeah, Adam, NW World title, that match was physical. I remember he busted my nose wide open and I was bleeding everywhere. And, uh and then sure enough, it was a couple years later, we ended up uh, meeting in Portland, Oregon again. I was the West Coast Wrestling Connection heavyweight champion out in Portland, Oregon on their TV program out there for some some period of time. And Adam came in right near the end of my run out there, and we, we tangled a few times. And, yeah, nothing had changed, man. When Adam hits you, you know it's going to be a, a, a rough morning the next day. Now I think it's time for the colossal question. Let's say they're making a movie about me. Every movie has a soundtrack. What would be the first three songs on the Danny Duggan movie soundtrack? The first three. Hmm. I know two off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of what the third would be. Well, the first one would, would be, you know, for anyone that's followed my career long term, 
I think without a shadow of a doubt, without any question, it would have to be Cruel Summer by Bananarama. Oh, yeah. um, that was that was my that was my entrance music for you know about 15 16 years and that one that was hard to see that one go um you know that song that's that song was you know a pop culture hit in the 80s um but for the entirety of my run with it man like that stuck with people um you know to this day it's been like three four years since i've used it people still still reach out to me on social media or my personal life and be like hey guess what i'm listening to right now like that that song stuck with people um and it had a good connection and it just fit and uh not to go off track but i'll give you a, a quick story on how that one happened because it's, it's crazy that that would be a soundtrack because i hated it um <laughs> I, I hated it at first I thought it was the most silly, ridiculous thing in the world, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And ended up being probably one of the best things to happen to my independent wrestling career. Um, so we talked about the me going down to Boston and doing those trips when I was 17 years old. Right. And the first show I did there was in Buxton, Maine, at a bar called Skip's Bar. They're still running wrestling there today. That's why I'd like to go back there and relive it because it's uh, it's like this hole-in-the-wall bar in Buxton, Maine. Like I don't even know where Buxton is on a map. I'd have to look. Um, but I wrestled there many times. And the first night I was there, they told me, that, you know, because I was going to be there for a couple weeks and do their spot shows and such, we're bringing you in as this uh, – there's a, there's a heel manager by the name of Quentin Michaels – and uh, they said we're going to bring you. You're going to be his little cousin from Canada. Like that's going to be your attachment and, and your your story while you're here. And he was kind of like an executive bigwig. Was kind of like his gimmick. And uh, you know, I was 17 years old. Ring of Honor was like just starting and was super cool. So here I am with my biker trunks and my kick pads, and I had like this cool Nightwish music and thought I was so Japanese and cool and 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 modern. And uh, I go to give my music and they're like, oh, you're not going to need that. I'm like, well, what do you mean? This is my music. It's like, no, no, you're coming out with him. He's, he's, you know, you're in his stable. He's bringing you out. Okay, whatever. And, uh, you know, the music hits and it's Cruel Summer by Bananarama. And at 17 years old, I was like, this is fucking stupid. This is terrible. No, no, I can't come out to this. You know, being 17 and insecure and you know, thinking I was going to go make this big impression on these 40 people in a bar and light my career on fire. And now I'm, now I'm going out to banana Rama. It's all over. <laughs> and, uh, I remember going through the curtain in front of the 40 people or whatever the case may have been, maybe less, maybe more. And the heat we got coming out to that music. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I see it. And uh, embraced it from there on forward, like the rest of the trip and started to have fun with it. And by like the end of that couple of weeks, I was like, oh, this is great. And, uh, you know, so then I ended up coming back to Canada shortly after that. And I was an extra on a popular TV show up here called Falcon Beach. And uh, so I kind of looked like a surfer. I kind of looked like Kenny Omega's younger brother and, and you know, that point of my life. And, uh, you know, we kind of like Hawaiian surfers. So, so as I was building myself as a heel because I, I, because I was an extra on the show, I was building myself kind of as the star of the show, Falcon Beach. Uh, so I was from Falcon Beach, Manitoba. And I was like, that song would be perfect. And at the time, we were doing a lot of like these shows at university bars. And it was just like the perfect fit. And the heat was outrageous uh, because of the song. Like, and I was like, this song is connecting with people in a way I just never would have guessed. But because it's so catchy, like, and if you just sit and listen to it, no matter how defiant you are to the song, you eventually start bopping your head and singing to it. And it's contagious. 
So because of that, it became super popular, turned me babyface. And that led to me being, you know, probably the top babyface in central Canada for a decade. <laughs> Almost all because of that song. I'm certain of it. So that would have to be. That would have to be. But now, now that I'm back in Canada after leaving this, uh, leaving this terrible country uh, during the pandemic and relocating to the United States, uh, since returning to events in Canada, um, I've become an American sympathizer and I'm not so popular anymore. And while I was in Green Bay um, living there during the pandemic, um, Lee Greenwood was coming there for a concert. So every single day as I'm driving, listening to my classic country radio, God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood is being played like once an hour to promote this concert. Like whether it be like directly the song or or uh, the commercial, which is that, like, that's his song. So it's like, it was like, every single day and i was like this is obnoxious i was like this is this is this is too much um so i was like i'm going back as a bad guy so if it's obnoxious and it's too much it's gonna get heat brother so now i for those who haven't watched me in in my present form um here you know performing in canada that is my entrance song and it's not as simple as it sounds it's not simple as all right that that chord hits and you come out um that song marinates and it plays for a while. And it's not about until the second course or third course, about two minutes in, I finally make my way out the curtain. And uh, you can imagine if you're Canadian listening to God bless the USA for about two minutes, you want to fight somebody by the time they get out the curtain. Um, especially when they come out dressed up in outlandish American apparel and waving the American flag. Um, so it's kind of taken on a life of its own through some trial and error up here as well. So I imagine that song would also have to be on the soundtrack um, because it's uh, it's it's gotten me into some altercations over the last uh, couple of years and will probably get me in some more as time goes on. And do we have a third song? Do we have a third song? Man. Hmm. No, I think we're going with those two. That's the opening and closing track. In a solid two day off. Yes, sir. Well, that Lee Greenwood song goes on for like five minutes, so that encompasses like three songs. Very true. But now that we have the soundtrack down, it's time to cast. Who plays Danny Duggan? And you can't say yourself because you are obligated to make a Stanley esque cameo. Huh. Well, in my younger years, if they're playing like younger me, like uh, Surfer Danny, um, Falcon Beach Danny, I used to get compared to Owen Wilson a lot because we both had the long, stringy blonde hair. Okay. So that that was like a common that was a common comparison, which used to offend me because he's got a very large nose and I don't. <laughs> so I, so I, this isn't fair or nice. So probably probably Owen Wilson. Now, every movie has a supporting cast. Who would be three people significant to you that would be in your movie, and who would play them? AJ Sanchez would have to be in that movie. Like, I've, like I said, I've wrestled him more than anybody. You know, he was he was there for my first match. We've traveled the roads together. He would be – what's his name? He's in The Sopranos. He's, he's one of Tony's henchmen. 
Um, man, I don't know his shoot name. I but don't know, there, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know his name. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like he's like he's one of the he's one of the mob guys with Tony. I've watched that series so many times. I shouldn't. Why am I drawing a blank? Um, that that's who would play AJ. Um, who else would be in that movie? Mentalo would have to be in that movie if we're covering my career because he's you know he's been one of my greatest rivals. Um, so he would be in that, but he wears a mask. So realistically that could be anybody. So with that being said, I'd like to cast Virgil in that role for my own amusement and fandom of Virgil. <laughs> okay. Um, Virgil would make a great Mentalo. Um, and then third would probably have to be my wife because, you know, at this stage of my life, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her. So probably my wife and because she's in the next room listening, She'd be cast by herself because there would be a no more beautiful choice or option than my own beautiful wife to play her. And I couldn't imagine pretending she was anyone else. And that is the correct answer. That is the correct answer, sir. Pro wrestling taught me that. From the Sopranos, I believe you're talking about Steve Scarippa? Yes. Yes, sir. There you go. It sounds like an incredible movie, and you could pre-order the tickets now. That's the thing. It probably would make an incredible movie. At one point, there was consideration to make it a book because I was, I'm, I'm very quiet on social media now, and that's for good reason. Uh, because when I was younger, um, especially with social media, I was pretty wild and crazy. Like I, I'm old and, and boring now. Um, but we lived the wrestler life on the road. Like we got in trouble. We had all kinds of fun. We said stupid shit. Um, we, you know, it was never with ill intent or malice. We were, you know, always, you know, it was, it was all in good fun. Um, but I remember like, it was probably like maybe 2015, 16, I'd, I'd been wrestling pretty actively and, uh, you know, pretty, pretty open on social media about like this is the wild life we're living and the crazy things we're doing and the schedule we're keeping and i remember somebody reached out about doing a book you know like, you should put these stories into a book this would be fascinating and that's something i i sat down with and i fought with for a long time but ultimately i decided i was like at least at this point in my life i'm gonna have to say no because all the fun real good stuff probably couldn't be published for the public eye <laughs> Or for, you know, the protection of uh, many men and women along the way that probably don't want that dragged out in public at this, this day and age. So I, I fear I fear a movie would probably be even worse because it would be visual. But who knows? Maybe one day. You definitely got to write down. You, you got to put pen to pencil, a pen to paper with uh, a book. Um, those These stories are too good not to be shared. Oh, there's so many. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I think there would be a lot, even probably without some of the shenanigans. But, you know, like I said, like I'm, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. And some of that fandom is like the wild, crazy stories of pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. So like you under you understand why. But it's always kind of disappointing when you read a wrestling autobiography or biography. And they, they leave out like the, you know, the the sex, drugs and alcohol. It's like, you know, that happened. You, you oh, yeah. knew it went on, especially with certain individuals. And you're like, this is why I want to read this book. Cause I know some crazy <laughs> shit happened and I want to hear about it. And then when they don't, you're kind of disappointed. And the book's kind of a letdown, regardless of how good the stories are, man. Like the parties up here in Canada used to be legendary, like rock rock star level 
legendary for, for quite a few years. And I'd feel like I'd be letting people down if I didn't include him, but I'd also be pissing a lot of people <laughs> off. If I actually told what happened to him too. So it's a, you know, fine, fine balance. Now, uh, I don't want to take up all your time because, um, you know, we've been talking for a little while, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question. Could you tell us about Hot Tub Party Massacre? <laughs> yeah, I sure can. Um, man, yeah. I, I didn't even think that was coming up today. Uh, so <laughs> there is a fellow by the name of Chris Greenway um, who was the he's, – he's a local film producer, and he is – He's a he's a strange cat, and I mean that in a complimentary way. Like he is, he's a cool dude. Like he just thinks differently, has a different mindset. Um, he's got a dark sense of humor, like I do. Um, you know, nothing's off limits. All all is all is uh, well and, and good fun. And uh, you know, so he just has a wild imagination, and he's like he's like a vintage buff and a horror buff. And uh, you know, so I participated in multiple different like short films for him you can probably find them on on youtube like there was one like we did like this incredible like cialis commercial there was one where i was like danny hasselhoff from baywatch like there's a bunch of the wild crazy stuff we did um like these kind of parodies um that were like really successful online and, and got a lot of traction. And he's like, he's, he's incredible at putting them together, both the script and the production of them. Um, but he's also a huge wrestling fan. So that's kind of how I got in, you know, involved with him. I don't even remember how it initially happened, but we got connected and I got involved with his projects filming and he started doing like CWE TV for a while. Like he was filming and producing our weekly television show that was airing here in Manitoba for the longest time. Um, you know, but then he graduated kind of from wanting to do these short internet films that were a few minutes long to wanting to try a huge um, actual budgeted movie. So that's kind of what he did. The Hot Tub Party Massacre is um, is is a tribute to a horror movie from the 80s and kind of a spoof of it. And he asked me to participate in it. And I love 80s horror um that's something else i grew up on and just like was fascinated by as a kid you know where some kids are like terrified and, and hiding in the dark of, of scary movies i always thought they were hilarious um and i enjoyed them for different reasons and was always entertained by them in a, in a different light um so when he told me you know or presented me the opportunity to be a part of like a parody of an 80s horror film like i am all over this um so i i jumped at the opportunity to be a part of it and it I'm here. <laughs> Getting cut off here. It's the universe's way of telling us we're talking about wrestling too long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he asked me to be a part of this this production, and I jumped at the opportunity um, because like the other other uh, projects I did with him were a ton of fun, got great reception. Um, you know, especially you know at that point in my career, I was younger and on social media and trying to be more active and engage with people, and that was a great way to reach them. Um, so when he presented me the opportunity to be a part of the film, I, I jumped at it. It was kind of like a, you know, a dream come true, even though it was a small budget indie film um, to be a part of an eighties horror themed movie was, was right at my alley and, and something I would have wrote down as something I wanted to do if you asked me. So um, we jumped at it and, and uh, we put it together on this shoestring budget he had. And it was a ton of fun, man. I'll have to go back and watch it. I haven't even watched it since it came out, but you know, it, it took it, you know, it took multiple days to get done. And 
the cast was a ton of fun. His vision was great. And it was, uh, it turned out to be, you know, when you're doing it, like when you're doing a low budget indie film, you have almost no expectation on how it's going to turn out because, right. you know, just the, the, the notion of what it is. And then you know, I remember seeing the final product when I'm like, Oh wow. Like Chris, I knew you were talented, but this is, uh, this was, you know, far exceeding any expectation I ever could have imagined having for it because he did an amazing job with it. Not only, uh, you know, filming, directing, producing and all that kind of stuff, but then, you know, getting the distribution for it and getting it in front of people, um, you know, where it was being sold around the world and, and people are watching it and reaching out, you know, from different countries and such because they saw this horror film um, that you thought, you know, maybe a couple people in your hometown were going to see. So um, it was it was a super cool experience. You know, I got to get murdered in a movie and uh, <laughs> all that kind of fun stuff that went with it. So it was it, it was a lot of fun. I got murdered on a podcast once, so I could attest to being murdered as being fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. It definitely is. All right, uh, onto a controversial subject, pineapple on pizza. What's your stance? No. Anti. Sorry? Anti-pineapple on pizza. No, and I love both. I love pineapple. Like I, I that's that's one of the first fruits I put in my grocery basket every time I go grocery shopping. I love pineapple and eat lots of it. I just do not like it on pizza. And I love pizza. I will I will eat a whole one to myself any opportunity I have, but I do not like the combination together. Okay, so pineapple on its own, fine. Pizza on its own, it's fine. Bring them together, absolutely not. Yes, sir. Now, we love the late, great Tracy Smothers on the show. Do you know the acronym for Doug, T-H-U-G? I don't think I do. Um, I've, I've got lots of friends that have worked with Tracy, and I've heard a million Tracy stories, and he was somebody I always wanted to work with, um, but sadly never got the opportunity to even meet. Um, so I don't believe I do. T is for terrible. H is for hell. U is for ugly, and G is for jail, because a Doug can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes, we love the late, great Tracy Smothers. Um, in the same boat as you, never got to meet him, wish I did, um, but we're trying to keep the memory alive. I appreciate that. Yeah, we had a bunch of boys that you would regularly come up on tour from like the Tennessee area. And I remember like begging them to bring Tracy Smothers up sometime, but there was some kind of passport issue where he wasn't able to come to Canada. So I was like, just just send him, just put him in the trunk. We'll sneak him across. We'll make it work. Like I, I was a big Tracy Smothers fan. He's an incredible, incredible wrestler um, who I really wish I had the opportunity to, to cross paths with. From what I hear, a great human being as well. Everybody speaks highly of Tracy, and that's that's hard. Like that's hard in the wrestling business. Oh yeah. Because somewhere somewhere along the way, everyone's pissed off somebody. Uh, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say anything bad about about Tracy. It's it's nothing but praise. All right. Now, uh, on a more serious note, where do you see yourself in um, CWE in the next five years? Uh, hopefully not dead, but uh, <laughs> uh, neither yes. one of us. Um, yeah, that's a good question. That That is a great question, and you're asking that at a very interesting time where I wish I could give you a short answer, but I, I don't know, man. It's uh, This has been a reality you know, reality check and a wake-up call, this this injury. This is the first time I've ever had to sit. Like this, this 
past five months is the first time I've not been in a pro wrestling ring as an active pro wrestler in my entire adult life. Um, so it's, it's making me think differently. It's putting things into perspective differently. Um, so who knows? It can go one of two ways. Uh, you know, I might not be doing this anymore in five years, um, you know, because, you know, there's other there's other things I have to take into consideration when it comes to my health and, and body having a family now. Um, or once I, you know, actually have this wheel up and running and I'm feeling good, I'm going to say, yeah, that was silly to think. And I'm going to be going full tilt and, and, you know, wrestling 200 days a year again, like I was between my company and independence before, you know, everything shut down. Um, so it, it's, it's tough to say, I still love pro wrestling. Um, and when, you know, I'm no different than any other wrestler when they say, you know, it's an addiction. It's hard to quit. You never quit. You never will quit it. Um, it's it's a struggle because there are times when things get tough with physically, mentally, financially. You're like, oh, I should just do something else. But like what, man? When you've been doing pro wrestling your entire life, what else do you do? Because uh, there's nothing else like it. Wrestling is the best. It is the best job in the world. Um, so to find something to replace that, man, anything, anything less than pro wrestling is a step down. Um, so reality, maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe not doing it anymore. Realistically, I would like to, you know, be back at it and going full tilt, you know, before tearing my knee, um, you know, I was getting a lot of major opportunities with major companies. I was down in the performance center. I was getting opportunities with Ring of Honor before they closed. Um, you know, I've, you know, had opportunities with, you know, you know, I've been booked by AEW, but haven't been up to, you know, full health to take advantage of them and things of that nature. Um, so, you know, you know, the wrestler in me who always wants to, you know, push for that next opportunity would love for this knee to be good to go in four months and be like, all right, let's get back on that ride and, and chase it again. Um, but I also got to be realistic. I've been doing it 21 years. How, how long can you chase it with your body being able to perform at a high level at a full schedule uh, moving forward. Um, you know, also going to be 37 years old soon, uh, which is young, which is still young. I'm, I'm still mindful of that, but you know, with 21 years of wrestling on it, it's, it's not, um, you know, so as someone who hasn't gotten that break per se on a national level, they're not handing too many of those out to somebody at, at 37 years old. So, uh, you know, you know, that's probably, you know, not an option. So if you're not chasing, you know, pro wrestling on a national scale or an international level without that big break behind you to, to sustain it yet. What does your pro wrestling career look like? Um, I'm someone who will probably always be happy just wrestling, um, whether that be in front of 40 people, 4,000 people, 40,000 people. If there's a wrestling ring set up somewhere, I will enjoy myself and have a good time. But what does that mean realistically for, you know, survival and, and living your life? That's, you know, something I'm going to have to figure out. So, probably going to be involved realistically um, for CWE. I think, you know, as long as the economy can withstand, uh, you know, the pressure it's going right now, it always, it always comes back around. So if we get, if we can survive, you know, the challenges that are being put forth right now where it's going to get rough, like it is rough right now, like gas is brutally expensive in Canada. So being a touring company, that's your you know biggest expense. Hotels are more expensive than ever before. Flights are more expensive than ever before. Our Canadian dollars garbage for paying American talent right now. Um, so there's like, there's a lot of obstacles that we're facing for the first time in a way we never have. Like we always had those expenses, um, you know, more so than other areas. But right now it's worse than ever. So we're we're learning to navigate that and be flexible and adjust, which we're doing a really good job of. Um, but if that continues to get worse. And the economy for, you know, individual citizens continues to toughen. They're not going to have the same disposable income for 
pro wrestling, which we're trying to be mindful of as well. Um, so it's just kind of a balancing act right now. If we can survive the next little bit and find a way to realistically navigate it and, and be successful financially to keep moving forward, I think in five years, CWE will, will continue to go and it will it'll continue to be very strong. Um, you know, because, you know, this is my baby. We're going on 15 years of it. And, you know, truthfully, um, you know, I probably sacrificed a lot for CWE in the sense that I put a lot of my personal wrestler aspirations on the back burner to continue this company and grow it when, you know, if I would have left it in the background and, and took off and, and pursued some other avenues specifically as a wrestler more intently, um, I could have been, you know, further ahead in, in areas that I chose not to be because I was very committed and passionate about CWE, and I still am. Um, there's something to be said about being your own boss, making your own schedule, and 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 running your own company, which I really enjoy. Um, but most importantly, I love I love my team, and I love the wrestlers, and I love the fans in these markets we go to, and the relationships we built. Um, so if I can continue to grow that and make sure everyone can eat at the end of the day. Um, I like to think in five years we'll still be going and I'm somebody who's very ambitious um, as you can tell by her schedule that we, <laughs> we keep. Um, so like, I'm not, I, I can't see me ever just going, all right, we're just doing this one monthly show. Uh, you know, and I, I could be wrong. Like, this could be used against me in five years, but I, I can't see myself going, oh, we're just going to do one show a month locally and, you know, be like everybody else. I don't think I can ever go back to that. It's always going to be like, what's next? How do we grow this? Um, so I think in five years, you know, who, who knows sky's the limit really. Like at the same time I say that I'm, I'm realistic of, of what the realities now are of the markets we run and the scale of shows you can run in them with the, you know, the overhead that's involved. So, you know, in some ways we stopped growing because we realized it wasn't, it wasn't realistic to keep growing in those ways financially if you wanted to have a company to come back to. So, we've kind of figured out our niche and, and what works for our company and how to make it, you know, um, fruitful for everybody and continue to grow. So um, I think we're going to continue to make strides in that. And um, pre pandemic, we had a 38 day tour booked, which was going to be the largest in company history and, and span pretty much the entire country minus a few places um, with all the challenges coming out of the pandemic. We've gotten nowhere near close being able to do that again. That's something. Thirty-eight day tour. <laughs> that's sorry. That's what you left out on when you drop out. Oh, so 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 uh, before before the world closed down in in two thousand twenty, we were scheduled to do a thirty-eight day tour, which is going to be the biggest in. CWE history, the biggest in Canadian wrestling history. It was 38 events and 38 nights spanning from Vancouver on the West Coast all the way to Montreal on the East Coast. So if you don't know your geography, look it up. It is a lot of land. That is like going from Portland, Oregon uh, to New York City. Um, and we were, you know, we were doing tours just smaller than that prior, but this was going to be the biggest yet, cover the most ground, have the most cities. And that got taken away from us. Um, so that was a part of history I was very excited to make that's been completely unrealistic to try to duplicate since with the challenges coming out of the pandemic in terms of the economy and the expenses included with it. Um, so I would love in the next five years, probably not going to happen sooner than later, probably later than sooner. Um, but I am determined 
to bring this con you know this company across the country in a major fashion like that again um so when the wrestling world thinks canadian wrestling it's without a shadow of a doubt it's cwe that comes to mind it comes to mouth um, because the wrestling fans here already do that um you know but every other country in the world has a as a company that's distinguishable to them america has wwe aw Japan has New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mexico has AAA and CMLL. Uh, Canada has always just kind of piggybacked the American brands on a national level. It hasn't been since the days of like Maple Leaf Wrestling or Stampede Wrestling in the 80s that Canada has been distinguished to the wrestling world. Um, so that's, that's always been the goal with CWE and a part of why we started as well. And we're going to continue that mission statement. All right. And since we are nearing the conclusion of this interview, we are wrestling with the eight questions of doom. Is this like the dungeon of doom? It's a speed round or bonus round to run where we see who you really are. Are you ready? <laughs> I, I don't know who I really am, so good luck. <laughs> let's, let's give it a try. Excluding yourself, greatest wrestler of all time. Mr. Perfect. Worst wrestler. Worst but best wrestler, Nails. I love Nails. Hmm. The worst but the best. <laughs> he was the best at being the worst. Oh, I love him so much. I just got a Nails t-shirt this weekend, and it was one of the, the best gifts ever given to me. Your main event in WrestleMania for the World Championship. Who is your opponent? Dead or alive. Anything. Dead Mr. Perfect, because he was my guy. Alive. Uh, probably Chris Jericho because he was a Winnipeg who he was a Winnipeg boy who made it when I was a young kid aspiring to to do what he was doing. So that would be kind of full circle for me. If you could come out to anyone's entrance music, past or present, who would it be? Ooh. Well, this might be a weird choice, and I'm having to think on the spot, so there might be others, but one that pops to mind would be Gagrell and the Brood. That's one of the greatest entrance songs of all time, and the entrance was unmatched to this day. So to come out and be a part of that would be something special. Oh, yeah. Finish the sentence. K-Fabe is... Still alive. We would have also accepted Taste Great on Toast. <laughs> Squash, vegetable or fruit? Vegetable. It is indeed a fruit. Oh, okay. It uh, has seeds, tomato logic. Tomato logic, there you go. New Japan wrestler Tai Chi, his reindeer gets smaller every year, revealing more to himself to the world. My question, what is the appropriate trunks the butt cheek ratio for ring gear it depends how great of an ass you have <laughs> before i had a back injury that deflated my glutes i wanted those things hanging out because that meant more merch money uh, from the ladies in attendance but now that i'm old and beaten up you got to cover those things up and the last question the main event the thing everybody wants to know have you ever had a conversation with a stranger in a supermarket about Darby Allen? Never in my life. And that is the correct answer. 
and that will conclude this interview. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this. With I, I, I have been in a supermarket in my wrestling gear with Brian Cage and Gangrel getting groceries, if that counts. Wow. <laughs> that, that is invisible, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, can you tell us where we can find all things uh, CWE on social media? At CWE Canada. And yourself on social media as well? At Hotshot Danny Duggan or at Hotshot Danny D if the Twitter handle isn't long enough. <laughs> okay. And you don't even have to go looking. Um, all of the links to all the social media for CWE and Danny Duggan will be in the description of the video below, but on YouTube and CastBox. Simply click the link, a new tab will appear on with the, whatever device you are on. Um, you have no excuse. Give them a damn follow. And if you're in the Canadian area, buy a damn ticket. Now, uh, of course, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, comment. But on YouTube and CastBox, this was sponsored by Low Energy and Player One Coffee. Join us next Tuesday and Wednesday for new incredible interviews. And follow the show at Wrestling with E, both on X, Instagram, and Thread. Follow me personally at JamesShane993. All right, uh, Danny, when I say Wrestling with, you say Entertainment, okay? Let's do it. Four. Always special guest, Danny Duggan, Calico Yacht, Scooter Dust. I'm James J, and this has been Wrestling With Entertainment. Hey, folks, this is the Colossal Mike Law, and you are listening to Wrestling With Entertainment. Enjoy the show. Support these guys. We appreciate it very much. We'll see you at ringside.